You are now listening to the Hot Take Podcast, brought to you by Full Time Fantasy. Here are your hosts, Stephen Taroni and Josh Daddy. Time to make it hot. Welcome to the show. This is the Hot Day Podcast. And today we are talking wide receivers. I'm very excited today to talk about our top 10 wide receivers. Of course, last week you tuned in for our top 10 running backs with Michael Hoff. And of course, we had Josh Daly have his own top 10 segment. My co-host, as always, what is going on, my friend? Man, feeling good. You know, excited. It's, uh, all the Scott Fishbowl invites are going out. Excited to talk to our guest. Um, you know, currently currently wearing the crown. Spoiler alert. So, you know, excited to get this going and excited to talk some wide receivers as well, man. Yeah, and I'm super excited to have the Scott Fishbowl 9 champion, Gary Haddo of Fighting Chance Fantasy. Gary, how are you, man? I'm doing fantastic. Uh, sipping on a White Claw, it's kind of my uh, go-to drink for podcast. Mm. Something that gets me a little loose, but nothing too crazy. And they're delicious. <laughs> Not a sponsor, but delicious. <laughs> Gary, what's your go-to flavor, man? I just always buy the variety pack, but I used to hate lime, and somehow now I really like it. And then grapefruit, I, I hate grapefruit-flavored things, except mm. for White Claw grapefruit. <laughs> nice. Were you, a, were you a fan of Fresca? Not really. Okay. <laughs> it's it like a grapefruit type soda, so I wasn't so is sure. It like peach? I thought it was like peach. Oh, is it? I don't know. I thought it was grapefruit. <laughs> I, I thought it was grapefruit also, and I just it's never been my thing. I think that's yeah. squirt. I think that's squirt. My wife loves ruby red squirt. You watch your mouth. This is a family show. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, White Claw. You know, I, I, I've drinking the Trulies. Um, I think that was my first experience with like the hard seltzer, but, yeah. but you're a fan of the White Claw, Gary? Yeah, I've, I've tried the other ones. Honestly, I think they're all pretty much the same. I just know that these are flavors that I like that are kind of always right. going to be consistent. So thank you guys for having me on. It's uh, it's it's fi- nice to finally make this happen. You know, we tried once before and here we are and it's perfect timing, man. Ramping up to, as you said, Scott Fishbowl season. There's just, there's a buzz in the air. It's nice just to have a little bit of a distraction and you know, this is the perfect time. And in the next month, I mean, what? It's it's almost exactly 30 days until we start drafting. Yes, sir. That's right. That's right. And uh, this is a good time to announce uh, that we will be on the Scott Fishbowl Podathon. Uh, we got the 1.30 a.m. slot. That's Eastern time. So all you Pacific Coast people that are going to be up late, 10.30, uh, check us out. Um, it'll be on the YouTube channel. It'll be on Periscope. So check us out there. It's going to be a fun time. It's really cool because, you know, I feel bad for all the casuals out there that like, what fantasy football in June? Like, it's fun right now. We're having a good time with fantasy football. Of course, it's best ball season, gearing up for the Scott Fish Bowl. So uh, let's let's talk about that last season, actually, Gary, because you were the champion. Was it 12? Is it 1,200 teams? Yep, 1,200. Yeah. 12 hundo, including Matthew Barry, including Brad Evans, who was actually in my division, who I had the pleasure of beating. I remember at the Midwest Fantasy Expo, I met him and I was like, ah, you're the guy who sniped Josh Gordon from me. 
you know, like all <laughs> upset about. It. He's like, yeah, you know, motherfucker, while like drinking a tequila or something. And uh, <laughs> I got I get to rub it in his face because I I was able to beat him. So I guess let's start off, Gary, with what was your strategy going in last year? Obviously, tight end premium. That's on everybody's mind uh, with the PPR style scoring. So what were you thinking going into that draft? So I'm glad that you brought up the, the tight end premium just because my first thing was I'm going to punt on tight end personally believe that yeah you can get some of the top guys but they had historic seasons and Kelsey and Kittle and they're probably not going to repeat they didn't repeat they had amazing seasons right Kittle's by far the best tight end in the NFL I will put my flag down there even though people will yell at me for it um and I just decided I was going to wait on that I, I don't know if you want me to go through my draft quite yet, but I will say, I mean, going into it, I had the third spot. So CMC, fingers crossed that he was going to drop it to me, and he did. And then from there, I uh, just kind of hit the jackpot with the next few picks. And, you know, I, I think we'll get into that some more. But the other thing was, even though it was super flex, my intent was definitely to at least wait, try and get my first five picks out. And then from there, I actually got Josh Allen and Jameis Winston, despite the fact that it was, what, negative four for interceptions. Got a lot of flack for that. But, you know, Winston ended up throwing for 5,000. Josh Allen had his his running floor. So those two picks worked out. Well, so two things I'm hearing right off the bat, and then, Josh, I'm going to toss it up to you, because not to bury the lead, but the three of us were uh, conference winners. Uh, I believe we all had first-round buys. Is that correct, guys? Correct. Okay. Yeah, yeah. All um, three of us were uh, in the badasses conference at that. Not only were we conference finalists, we were all in the same conference. So look at right. the, look at this tremendous friendship we forged. <laughs> unreal, unreal. Um, and then you know, if I was an agent forty-seven division. What were your guys' divisions? I was Gerald of Revia of Rivia. Yeah, The Witcher. Right. I was uh, Cole McGrath, and that's from the infamous video game series. But like Gary, Gary goes on just like ships the whole scott fishbowl so then they go and make netflix series <laughs> out of his character yeah. which i thought was pretty impressive that was cool that was cool how was the interview process for that gary was that like pretty cool <laughs> going to that experience? It was I, mean, I, I felt like they got someone that really looked like me minus the hair so. <laughs> that's funny uh video games was the theme for last year this year it's going to be toys super excited about that yeah, so two things I I took away from what you said, Gary. First of all, you punted the tight end position. The majority of people going into last year thinking about, okay, I, I want to get one of those tight ends. If the, if I miss out on one Kelsey, uh, Ertz, or Kittle, at least I'm going to get that second tier with Evan Ingram, Hunter Henry, like one of those guys, right? And that really didn't work out as far as that second tier is concerned, especially if you consider O.J. Howard, Right. So if you were thinking on those terms and you went for one of those in that back end here, you really didn't, you really screwed yourself over when you could have waited for a Waller like you drafted, or in my case, in the 10th round, Mark Andrews. So I think I had a similar mindset because, you know, I mean, what is the common thing in fantasy football? Yin when everyone yangs. I mean, that is always a viable strategy. If people are going tight end, tight end, tight end, and you can capitalize on other positions, it's an advantage that you have as well. It's not just that they have the advantage because they have a good tight end. You have an advantage because you've stocked up on your receivers and your running backs. Yeah, and I completely agree. I, I find that in not just this draft, but any drafts where you have open flex spots and you have a lot of them. So like I'm doing these fantasy cares eliminators that John Bosch puts on and they're fantastic, but they're, you know, they're super flex and then six flex spots, anything that you want. And I felt like Scott Fish 
wasn't quite like that, but it was pretty similar. I think there were four flex spots. And so you had a lot of leeway as to what you wanted to do. And so I actually always look at the scoring and then, you know, in my in MFL, in my fantasy league, you can look at where all the players ended going into the season, you know, however it was last year, but with that scoring setting. And I was just talking to my my buddy about this. I actually look at like usually the RB2 to what is 100 points below them and try and see how big of a gap that is. And I do the same thing with about wide receiver two, because usually the top guys at each position are outliers. And then to me, that gives me a strong indication of which position is going to have the most depth, which isn't going to have as much depth. And so who I'm going to try and prioritize, prioritize first. And then after that, who can I really just try and hit home to capitalize on as many of those players? I hope my explanation there makes sense. <laughs> no, it definitely does. And, and and I want to say the second thing that stood out to me besides the tight end is the quarterback. So again, similar in the way you can draft that position. Now, this is a super flex league, so two, you can start two quarterbacks. And you were saying that you got Josh Allen and Winston. But of course, what people are thinking is, well, it's minus four for interception. So you don't want to draft those players, especially because Accuracy is always a concern. Turnovers are always concerned with Jameis Winston. So that kind of went against the grain too. But I would say for the most part, that worked out. That was a pretty solid combo, especially weeks where they both were, you know, top 10 options. Yeah. For anybody that doesn't know the scoring that in this particular last season, uh, if you had 50 rushing yards, every 50 rushing yards, you got a bonus of five points. Every 300 passing yards, you got a bonus of five points. And so for Jameis, I thought he was just going to be slinging it nowhere I mean he exceeded everyone's expectations but the idea was there and then with Allen it was well if I can get some rushing out of it um, I think there were first down bonuses if I remember correctly there were yes and so if he can rush for the first down or he's throwing for it on a lot of plays he's going to be getting additional bonus points there and I mean they didn't blow it out of the water by any means but they did pretty darn well I'm just looking at this surprise actually Josh Allen finished with 347 points and Jameis only finished with 363, but that kind of shows the difference. Jameis threw, yeah. excuse me, for 5,000 yards, but also 30 interceptions, whereas Josh Allen's not going to be anywhere close to that yardage, but he has that rushing floor to keep him up. Exactly. Um, Josh, what were you able to do? So we all drafted CMC in the first round, but what were you able to do in this draft that you feel like gave you an advantage and then also on the waiver wire? Yeah, and that's, see, that's the thing, and I and I love – that we have Gary on to talk about his strategy because honestly, Gary, I, I won. I took down two leagues last year and Winston was my quarterback in both. So that kind of leads to a whole nother topic, maybe for a whole nother day and episode, obviously, but you know, how much do the, do the interceptions even matter? You know, but if you can so, make yeah. up for it with yards and touchdowns, right? <laughs> yeah. And that's, that's the thing, you know, it's crazy, but, but yeah, you know, all three of us share a common thread where we all kind of went CMC with the first pick and, you know, I had him as my number one one. So, you know, as, yeah. as that that happened, that happened, like Gary said, uh, at the 03 was fantastic. Uh, boy, round two, though, um, I took AB and bam, I tell you, that's that's something I didn't think, you know, going into the season that I was going to because this is July we're talking, you know. So by the time everything's rolling around, everybody's watching hard knocks. I mean, my God, dude, I had no, I thought I had just completely tanked my team and right. I can't tell you the emotional roller coaster uh, of owning a B and Scott fishbowl was last year, especially when you invest your second round pick in him. Uh, and the week, and I'll just, I'll just say that I also didn't even, I don't even think I even started him the week 
that uh, he scored for New England. So I literally got nothing from him last season. Uh, But where I really made it up was in the third round. Uh, You know, I went on Mari Cooper um, and then just kind of, you know, big quick shout out to Josh Hornsby, Josh ADHD, who created just a phenomenal app uh, where you could kind of track where not only how fast the other drafts and leagues were going, but you know, where these other guys were going in this league. And it was my first, uh, this is the reason I bring this up is my first year in Scott Fishbowl last year, you know, being able to see how quickly these QBs were going, you know, kind of made me go a little earlier on QB than I would have liked, but I did end up going uh, Baker Mayfield and in the fourth round and going in, that's kind of my mindset is I knew I was going to have to take quarterbacks and tight ends earlier than I wanted to. If I wanted to at least come out of the draft with a roster that I thought not only would be competitive, but that I'd be satisfied with. And, you know, for that reason, I actually ended up going kind of the opposite of what Gary did. And I ended up going with Hunter Henry, like you mentioned, Steve, we kind of talked about that already on the show this year, where you kind of have this tier with like Hunter Henry and Evan Ingram and these, you know, kind of more injury susceptible tight ends where after that it gets really ugly. And that's kind of my feeling going in is I didn't want to get stuck with one of those ugly tight ends and taking Hunter Henry was my route there. Yeah. In order to qualify for the tier two of tight ends, you have to be injury prone. Right. Right. Number one. Yeah. And you know, to be honest, you know, I'll just real quick, I'll go through my top, my top 10 because that's, that's the part of the draft that saved me is even though I did, you know, royally F up my draft with AB in round two. I was able to get Chris Carson in round six and the Dak to Amari Cooper stack. Um, I wanted to leave this draft. I'm, I'm a, you know, you guys know I'm a big DFS player and I wanted to leave this draft with a stack that I could rely on. And I did have some injury or not uh, injury concerns, but drop concerns. I didn't know if Amari Cooper was going to kind of stay on that every other season where he's hit butterfingery, but ended up being fantastic because Dak was a stud. Uh, so getting him in the seventh round in this league format and having him show out like he did was fantastic. Um, you know, ended up going Jack Doyle in round eight and Steve, you and I talked about on the running back episode, we talked about how valuable Jarvis Landry is in best ball. And I felt like he really gave me a safe receiving floor as late as he did in round nine. Um, and one and one of the picks I hated in this draft was round ten. I actually reached what I considered a reach for Adrian Peterson. Absolutely hated that pick at the time. But AP ended up being in my lineup a lot Crazy. more than I actually thought he would be. You know, so it, it was nuts. But but my saving grace was to replace AB and to replace the subpar performance that Baker Mayfield got out of a fourth round investment. Um, I ended up getting really lucky in week one. Uh, you know, I just blew the entire fab budget on uh, Gardner Minshew and uh, also DJ Chark, who my buddy Rad Thad released. Uh, shout out to Thad Houston, another conference finalist. You know, if it wasn't for just being super aggressive with my fab right off the bat, I, you know, I, my, the team would have never been as competitive as I was because I was 0-2. And then I don't, I don't think I ever lost a game, which, uh, which Steve, I know you know all about winning streaks in Scott Fishbowl. Yeah, so you actually went undefeated? No, I lost my first two games, and then I went on a oh. massive heater. But I'm Sorry. saying, I know you I know you know all about uh, yeah. having a massive heater going, because every time I was looking, man, you, you know, when you log in, it, it shows you the first team listed in your conference, and that was the Agent uh, or Agent 47 League, which you were in, my friend. And uh, yeah, buddy, you were always, from, the, from week one on, you were always at the top. 
I was waiting for just something to happen. I was like, all right, well, <laughs> like I was never like very excited. Even when I was like six and oh, seven and oh, I was like, all right, well, whatever. You know, it could all come crashing down. Like the the volatility of a league like this where there's just so much can happen and all of these teams are just these players are really good. I just think that like you said, like Adrian Peterson was valuable in this league because of, you know, the bonuses for, you know, over 50 rushing yards and the first downs and things like that. Um, so it's very interesting. I, you know, if they were going to do uh, tight end premium again, if Scott Fishbowl was going to be tight end premium again, one player that I would really look at, I was just thinking about late round tight ends. You know, Gary, I think you said you got Waller in the 11th round. In the 17th. 17th, my goodness. Um, and then I was able to get Andrews in the 10th. But Blake Jarwin, you know, a guy we brought up before on this show, he's one of those guys in a tight end premium league that I think is a great target. Um, Double-digit rounds for sure, especially in a super flex. Um, so that's just a name to throw out there if this was going to be tight end premium. But any tight end premium you're in, I mean, Jarwin is an awesome pick and start because he could be that guy who you just got him for free. I mean, you know, you didn't have to do anything to get him. Yeah, he was my 21st rounder, Blake Jarwin. Oh, my goodness. And um, that boldness that you, you showed in that, in that, after that first week of getting Gardner and DJ Chark, I mean, like you said before, like relying on that Jaguar pass attack is you wouldn't think that it would get you as far as it did. But, you know, that was you had to make a move and you did it. So that's, that's also what differentiates the good players from the bad players in, in a league like this. If you don't make that move, your season is probably tanked. Yeah, oh, yeah, absolutely. And I mean, if going in, if you're going to say, man, you're going to leave this 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 season feeling you know super thankful for the Jaguars passing attack I, I would have thought you were you know just beyond high but it's you know fortune favors the bold what can I say that six-round quarterback rookie quarterback that somehow saved your bacon <laughs> right right you know and, and that's the thing you know if he doesn't uh, if he doesn't come into that game in place of Nick Foles and just absolutely just be a stud, you know, we're, we're looking at him completely different. And I mean, here, here we're going into 2020 and uh, you know, he's, he's got the reins to the team so far, you know, as, as long as they don't sign cam or something like that, but it's just, it's just awesome though, to see kind of the route that everyone took. And, you know, I, I thought Gary completely smashed, you know, his first five picks and, you know, you, you talk about getting Waller in the 17th and, uh, we just talked about, I just talked about Thad Houston there briefly. Um, you know, and this is the last, last I wanted to talk about Scott Fishbowl nine, but you talk about getting Tannehill in the 22nd round. Thad had kind of clued me in on to some secret sauce that, you know, Hey man, it's, it's cheap to just go like that first week or two of free agency, you know, and, and handcuff your quarterbacks because it is, you know, a super flex league and, and there's some super deep rosters that you right. can go out and do that. And that's kind of, you know, Thad ended up handcuffing Mariota with Tannehill. And I know he got him super cheap and that's one of his saving graces. So you guys kind of both cashed in on that. So, you know, from being, you know, active and, you know, super aggressive on the waivers to just absolutely smashing your draft and combining that with some good value. I mean, you can see how there's different paths here and different strategies, like where Gary punted tight end. It's nice to see that, you know, there's there's just different routes on getting toward the top. Gary, was Waller your first tight end? No, so that's actually two things I was going to add there. Just to piggyback on the, the backup quarterback thing, just going into 2020, my, like, favorite 
two backup quarterbacks to get the very late is Case Keenum, who knows Stefanski's system behind Baker Mayfield. And you, know, you never know. I mean, Baker wasn't that fantastic last year. And Jeff Driscoll is on the Broncos. And Drew Locke is yeah. in a position to succeed. But, like, he he had one really good game. And that's really it. He had other like okay games, but you never know. And so Driscoll is somebody that I've at least just been picking up very, very late. Obviously, Mariota is now kind of the potential yeah. Tannehill to to Derek Carr. So um with regard to tight end, yeah, any league that's tight end premium, excuse me, that I wait on tight end, I just hit a whole batch of them. So I didn't take my first tight end until round 15. And I went Jimmy Graham, Ian Thomas, Der- uh, Darren Waller, and Cameron Brait back to back to back to back to back and it worked out because i got waller um on as a free ad i didn't even have to pay for him i got jacob hollister and so that definitely helped like he had one game and i was like man this is crazy let's just see what happens here and all of a sudden it worked out and uh so i i think it's very crucial to spend up right at the beginning i would always caution people if you're gonna spend up just be very conscious of when do when do waivers process and when do free agents lift because as soon as free agents are available everyone is zero dollars and add as many people as you can and if you have people on the bottom of your rosters that you feel like you're comfortable churning add the random backups you never know what's going to happen during the week you never know when different news is going to come out and so just try and take flyers on people and if for some reason they don't hit like they were free and you can drop them next week for other flyers. That's what I did with Hollister. I think, I don't know if I spent up on Slayton or not, but I got Slayton pretty early. Uh, he was a free agent and obviously Slayton had a really good season last year. Slayton was on my my team too. I think we had a lot of similarities with Evans, Slayton. Yeah. yeah it's, it's funny you mentioned Hollister and Drew Locke. I know I ended up getting Hollister and Laird and you know, you guys had already mentioned, I forget which one of you said it earlier, but, you know, kind of as the season goes on, a few of these teams that are really just like, um, you know, like Brad, not to pick on Brad Evans, because I know you already stomped, you talked about <laughs> how you stomped him, but uh, Brad's team was probably like one of the worst. And he, you know, he, he was kind of obvious, like he had uh, stopped paying attention, but there's like some other guys yeah. that, uh, you know, they just kind of fall off and, you know, you're able to kind of scoop some of these guys. But Drew Locke was one of those guys that I actually went out and proactively got uh, early on, uh, just because the more Baker kind of stumbled, I think I picked him up right around the time that Gar- I think Nick Foles was coming back uh, to start that game for Jacksonville, and then you know, lo and behold, Minshew ends up going back in. But uh, but yeah, it's funny that we mentioned kind of the same guys here that kind of contributed to some of our successes. Completely, and I always say this to people whenever you know I'm talking Scott Fish with them. I think that if I play this 1,200 more times, I don't think I win. I think that it is. Totally skin on my teeth. Literally, like I, I beat Tommy. I, I think in the last five minutes of the last game of the season uh, with Aaron Jones. And just to put it in perspective, I drafted McCaffrey, Michael Thomas, Evans, Freeman, and Aaron Jones for my first five picks, followed by Allen and Winston. So just to emphasize, CMC broke records. Michael Thomas broke records. Aaron Jones had an outlier season where he had 19 total touchdowns, I think. Mm-hmm. And Jameis Winston threw for over 5,000 yards. I mean, <laughs> and Darren like, Waller and Darren Waller and Darren Waller and then Ryan Tannehill. So like so much yeah. of this was just luck out of the gate. And I actually lost, I think, two of my first four or six. Sorry, 
I only won two of my first six games. And like you said, kind of went on a heater. I didn't know I was going to get a buy. And if I hadn't have gotten the buy, I would have gotten smoked that week. So it wow. kind of just worked out <laughs> in my favor. And all of a sudden, craziest thing in my fantasy life occurred. <laughs> That's amazing. You, dude, I can't imagine. I mean, I can kind of imagine because I've been there, just not in the Scott Fishbowl, how you felt on that last week with Aaron Jones. Like That was a primetime game, was it not, Gary? I think I remember you were winning it on primetime, and uh, I remember following that. It was, it was a fun follow on Twitter, man. So it, it was actually the last game of the season. So it was the Monday night, week 17, and I was out to dinner with my family. I actually stopped watching it. And when I got home, I turned it off because he had a terrible first half. And I was down a whole bunch of points because Slayton put up a goose egg and Winston put up like a seven. And so it was terrible. And then I happened to be talking to a buddy just after halftime. and was like, man, I'm down 25 points. Like that's, you know, it's doable. There's these bonuses and blah, blah, blah. And right. as I'm talking to him, Jones broke a 46 yard touchdown. And I was like, losing my shit like yeah. oh my god this is <laughs> and then i was like oh my god i don't know if this is going to be able to happen like the vikings are out of it they might bench their player like blah 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 and all of a sudden like aaron jones had his run and it was like this is insane like for anybody that doesn't know i think you're playing against 20 other people so for consecutive weeks you actually have to win like it's a championship of a 20 person league back-to-back weeks so like the odds of that happening are ridiculously low because all of these players all of these teams also have stacked rosters because they just beat out the other 1160 people <laughs> right <laughs> it, it was it was by far one of the craziest things and my wife likes to say that her most watched thing that she's ever posted to social media is her video of me losing my shit when i won <laughs> <laughs> that's so cool well, that, that's really cool, man. And uh, that's what it's all about in fantasy football, honestly. So the fact that you could experience that, um, that's what makes this game fun. And that's what, that's why we play it. Let's get into our top 10 receivers. Michael Thomas all across the board at number one. Uh, no surprise there. 185 targets. I mean, if he lost 40 targets, he would still be like the wide receiver one, no matter what. Like, so it's it's really crazy with the volume he's getting. You're talking about almost 200 targets. It's just insane. And he's a lock for 160, 170 targets. So you're giving me that with Drew Brees. What else is there to say about Michael Thomas? Right. Moving into the season, the one thing that I'm curious about is does Manny Sanders take away enough to make someone else potentially surpass Michael Thomas as the number one. Michael Thomas is amazing. Nothing against him whatsoever. And I think they're going to do everything in their power to give Breeze the reins and say, man, you get us to the Super Bowl. Alvin and Michael, they'll they'll help you along the way. But like, this is your team, Drew. This is your last season. Like, let's do this. Exactly. But you now have a viable wide receiver too. I love Emmanuel Sanders. You have Cook, who's really like taking his role over. I mean, that offense is just, it's fire. They're going to be so good. Um, Josh, anything to add on Michael Thomas? No, I'll uh, I'll save everybody some time and we can just move on. Something to the consensus. He's going to get the high volume. He's high touchdown guy, high yardage guy, everything you like out of Michael Thomas. Um, yeah. Far and away, the wide receiver won last year. So it's really tough. Again, like you said, record-breaking year, just like CMC. Um, really tough to put him anywhere else besides one. Even if you draft him at one and he finishes at three, you're still <laughs> going to be very happy with your his production. So he, he's a lock. So let's move on to number two. I have Tyreek Hill, and I think that, you know, 
and this is PPR scoring. So I think Tyreek, you can definitely make the case for in standard pretty obviously, but in PPR, uh, last se- or two seasons ago, he had 137 targets. Tyreek Hill did. That would have been the fifth or sixth, I forget off the top of my head, most targets this past season. So he is highly targeted. Last season, of course, he only played for 12 games. If Tyreek Hill gives you 120-plus targets, what he can do with those, you just love to see. Um, I think this is a big year for Tyreek. I-, I think that Nicole Hardman comes into his own a little bit more, but he's not going to be a high-volume guy, in my opinion. Tyreek is just far and away the best weapon on this offense. Um, So I I just like how this offense is going to go. And then you bring in CEH, which I think will also help Tyreek. So I I just love this offense, obviously. So Tyreek is my number two. Uh, Josh, who is your number two? Uh, My number two is going to be Devontae Adams, just because after Green Bay kind of flubbed the draft, and looking at some of the other options in Green Bay, I mean, I don't see a scenario where Devontae Adams doesn't, you know, he's not top two in targets. And, you know, Gears kind of mentioning the threat of Emmanuel Sanders could potentially drag some of Michael Thomas's targets down. If that's the case and he doesn't lead the league in targets, I think it's Devontae Adams at the number two. I think it just out of the sheer opportunity and chemistry that Adams has with Rodgers. I love, you know, the consistency between a wide receiver and a quarterback and that rapport. Um, so I'm, I'm huge on that. That's one of the things that I look at with wide receiver and, and uh, quarterback combinations uh, personally. So I have Adams as my number two, because I think he's just going to absolutely eat with a lack of other options. Where are you at Gary? Number two. Everything that, as you were talking about Adams, I was like, I'll add this point. Nope. You just hit all of them. I completely agree. I, I would be surprised if he averages less than what 10, 12 targets a game. There's just right. Rogers just trusts him. And if anything, if, if Rogers is pissed off and feels like he's been spited for any reason, he's just going to go to Devonte over and over and over. And he Devante is good enough to be able to get there to get to the ball. And Rogers is good enough to get the ball wherever it needs to go. We've seen Rogers make throw after throw. So um, Adams to me is, is the, cl- is, is the clear number two. I just, his ups, his touchdown upside, is just so high, right? Yeah. He was 14 touchdowns two years ago, and I think last year he was down, but also he had a, he was injured for a few games, and I think he only, what, he had like six last year or something? Yeah, he only had five and 12 games. Yeah, five and 12. So, I yeah, I, I, I agree. Like, I think Hill has a huge, has a ceiling. I mean, we've seen him, I think, be the number one. I just would prefer the stability of Adams over the yo-yoing that Hill can sometimes represent with, with Kelsey as kind of the one, a one Hills, the one a, but to Kelsey's kind of one B in that offense. Yeah. I agree with Adams being the next candidate for 160 targets besides Michael Thomas. So um, the volume is there. And again, double digit touchdowns is in the realm of possibility. Uh, He's done that a lot in his career. Aaron Rodgers always provides double-digit touchdowns for his wide receiver one. It's just, you know, been such a consistent thing over uh, Aaron Rodgers' career. So Devontae at number two, I love. Number three, uh, both me and Gary have Julio. I think that there's a drop-off this year from the perspective of drafters, Uh, especially when you're talking about Dynasty. Julio is dropping in Dynasty like crazy this year but you're still getting a top five receiver in 2020. Why, why do you like Julio this year, Gary, at number three? 
Uh, I mean, it's just the vacated targets. I think they have 258 vacated targets. It's around there. And mostly it's Hooper. I think Hooper being gone changes a lot about who the safety blankets are. And I think it's it's Julio is a safety blanket. Ridley is kind of the option after that. He's going to be a little bit more of the field stretcher. And then I'm just wary of any offense that's going to have significant changes at major skill players because of the offseason that we don't know if we're going to have. So Hayden Hurst is going to have to try and fit in there. Todd Gurley, I mean, it's terrifying when Cutter talks about his knees and how he doesn't know if he's healthy. Like, what the heck is that? Um, so I just think Julio's going to be peppered with targets. And it's not quite the Adams situation because he's he's not all alone there. He does have Ridley, but almost like it helps him, right? Like Ridley is an awesome wide receiver. And so Julio gets the benefit of not always being double teamed. Does Dirk Cutter like not have todd Gurley's trainer's number or email like <laughs> yeah. just hit him up let him ask how how is todd's knee because a lot of people would like to know i mean i have to imagine he has a little bit more insight than he's giving off but come on i understand maybe you haven't seen him in a bit because of quarantine but come on man they gotta know uh, josh who is your number three receiver yeah this this is where you know it's kind of an eye-opener because as close as they were, we talked about Tyreek Hill. I have I have Reek at three and Julio at four. So for God. me, I guess when it all comes down to it, you know, if we're talking PPR, it really doesn't matter the scoring format for me. I mean, I, for someone who's owned Julio consistently, I have him in a, a dynasty league. And also I, I usually end up with a share of Julio in one of my redraft leagues. And it just, the best way to say, to make my point is that I feel like as many times as Julio leaves a game, like with an in- injury, whether he's out for like a quarter or a half or whatever, and he kind of comes back or he's just all those weeks where he's questionable. I feel like the headache and the questionable tags are not worth the three designation because for all those weeks where he's doing things like that, those are, you know, there's also weeks where Tyree kill is just absolutely balling out. And that's why he's a best ball darling, you know, for Tyree kill. I mean, there's those weeks where he just goes off and you know, you're pretty much putting a W up on your opponent that week in fantasy. So it's, uh, so for me, I think it's just kind of the, he is, he is more boomer bust than Julio. Julio is maybe a little safer, but I just think that Tyreek is so explosive. And you already said it's the, I mean, that offense with everything they've added, getting Clyde Edwards Lair in there. And it's just, I feel like the upside for Reek is definitely worth the three because if you take Julio over him and he has, you know, just a phenomenal season, you could be kicking yourself later on. But the, the interesting thing that's no matter how you slice it, we have Thomas Adams, Reek and Julio as our top four in some way, shape or form. And then I think you start to make a little more, harder decisions after you get past that top four. So I think there's a clear drop off from the tier of Thomas Adams, Hill and Jones. Yeah. I almost, I almost want to put our fifth receiver in that tier. Gary, you were going to say something. Yeah. I I think that it's a really important point about those top four, those top four to me, if you come up to where you're at in the first or back of the first beginning of the second in your drafts, if those four are there, like you're very comfortable taking them, especially in redrafts. I think once you hit the tier break of starting with wide receiver five and below, all of a sudden you're just like, do I do this now? Do I wait? Do I go with a running back? Do I think all of a sudden yep. like all bets are off, but if those four are there and you're done with, let's just say the big five or six running backs after, after Hill is where things start to get very confusing. As we are talking, 
I am debating on in the chat telling you to like rearrange how I have these guys. <laughs> that's that's how like fluid it is. Right. No, no, <laughs> it's a hundred percent. I completely agree. Exactly. No, I mean one through four, that order, just like the running backs, we were talking about Zeke and Barkley, two or three. I mean, what you're getting, the volume, the level of player, you're just getting the full package. So we understand that. I would argue that my fifth and your fifth, uh, Gary, DeAndre Hopkins, belongs in that tier because he is arguably on that tier as far as skill level with all these guys. I would say I would take him like player for player over a couple of the guys on the first four that we talked about. So I think people are a little hesitant because of this offense, because it's going to be more spread offense. The targets aren't going to funnel the Hopkins. I believe they will. I still believe he's going to get 130 to 140 targets. Uh, and that's going to be good enough to be a top five receiver. So I'm good with the volume that Hopkins is going to get. And then in this style of offense, this they're going to pass the ball a lot uh, in Arizona. I'm good with having the wide receiver one here. I don't think that it's going to be spread around so much that Hopkins isn't going to get a wide receiver one target share. But, but when you take Hopkins in your draft, in my mind, you're like, all right, he, you, I have to say to myself, all right, he's about to get the 140. Let's like he's gonna get more targets. Like Kyler's awesome. Like I have to tell myself those reasons just because like <laughs> there's a doubt of like, right. yeah, yes. maybe I should have just taken Chubb or like Joe Mixon or something and just gone with the running back. Like I that's where like doubt starts to creep in. But on the flip side, no one would be shocked if Hopkins ends up as the wide receiver one or wide receiver two at the end of the season because he's he he is five for me because of the respect he deserves. Right. He is so damn good. 100%. I'm with you, Gary, because five is, is fair. You know, I think, you know, that when you're talking about all these great receivers, five is fair, but we have to understand, yes, he could be that top guy. Um, but yeah, you're going to have to make a decision. I completely agree. Josh, who is your five? Just like Gary said, you know, a little, little peek behind the curtain. You know, we tried to record a receivers episode once before and, we, we yeah, right. right. And like looking at looking at my ranks, you know, and I'm just like Gary said, I, you know, these things can be so fluid, like this second tier. And the thing with Nuke is I do have target concerns. I do have concerns with him switching teams because we do have a, a thin track record of high profile receivers signing that massive contract or getting traded to a new team and then having immediate success. You know, we mentioned Manny Sanders earlier you know, in the show. And he's one of the only guys I can remember kind of transitioning to a new team that just absolutely, you know, had success right away. So for me, I I'm a little more concerned with Hopkins than most, but I still have him in my second tier of receivers. But it's like Gary said, you know, it's this like comfortable factor. And to be honest with you, man, I just, I have more confidence drafting a guy like Kenny Galladay or Juju Smith-Schuster or even Chris Godwin uh, ahead of him, but I still have all four of those guys in the same tier. So um, Chris Godwin is your fifth receiver, correct? Yeah. And I have Godwin at number five right now that honestly, I could put Kenny Galladay there and move Godwin back to seven and have Juju at six. I mean, these guys are so interchangeable. Like Gary said, there's so much fluidity here as we record you know it's june so there's there's still a ways to go but i feel like godwin is just going to be that guy that clicks with brady right away um i've loved godwin ever since he come into the league 
And we saw him on hard knocks as a, as a guy that just came into the league and he already kind of had his shit together. So it's right. coaches love that. Bruce Arians loves Chris Godwin. We've already heard reports of Godwin and Brady are, are clicking, you know, and uh, it, like as soon as he signed, I mean, that was, it was like, oh, okay, I just feel like he's going to be the guy that emerges. Um, you know, he could be just absolute stud and, and take a, another step forward this year. Um, so I kind of have Godwin and Galladay. Yeah, right. I've got I've Godwin and Galladay. I have both Godwin and Galladay at like five and six right now. It's so damn close, though. It's it's ridiculous. Yeah, I mean, I can definitely see that. I think that, you know, if you're listening to the show and you say, well, Godwin was the wide receiver too last year, you know, why are we talking about him at being even at five? And I think Tom Brady has a lot to do with that. Um, so I, I do think there's a drop off from Winston to uh, Tom Brady just because of the passing volume. Brady's just going to run a more efficient offense is what I'm assuming. I think that that trust level with Godwin is going to be there. And he is going to be uh, Brady's wide receiver one. It just fits the mold of what Brady wants to do. But I, I just don't see him being that top three guy with Tom Brady. Tom Brady's never had that except for Randy Moss. And that was Randy Moss. So, you know, Godwin's going to be a fringe top five guy, in my opinion. I wouldn't be surprised uh, if he you know, gets that top three, but I'm not going to draft him as such. Um, and then Godwin is year six, Gary. So talk to me about Godwin, how, how you're perceiving him this year. Yeah. <laughs> I don't really have much to add about Godwin, to be honest. Okay. I feel like he just deserves to be up there for what he did last year. And, and with Brady, when I talked about how I was even going to put in the chat that I want to move people up, like it's actually the next guy that I'm like, if I'm planting my flag in someone last year, it was Aaron Jones. And this year, I think it's Kenny Galladay. Um, oh, yeah. Boy. Yeah, oh I, boy. I love Galladay. I'm, I'm trying to make a trade for him in a dynasty league right now. I have him in my main keeper league and probably in a lot of these drafts coming up. Spoiler alert, I'm going to be targeting him in the eliminators, in the Scott Fish Bowls, like everywhere that I can because I think his, his touchdown upside is probably one of the best in the league. He's shown it time after time. I remember benching him when David Blau came in and he put up like three for 121 and two against the Bears on Thanksgiving. Mm. And that's where I just said, like, I'm not I'm not doing this again. And I actually think that Hopkins is amazing, but like Stafford's awesome. Kyler's awesome. I trust probably the veteran more. Galladay has Marvin Jones on the other side, which is like the only downside. But Godwin has Evans. Hopkins has the entire offense because I don't really know who to pinpoint there. I don't know. I just I think. Galladay is one of those guys that at the end of the season, we're just going to be like, yeah, he's wide receiver three. Why didn't we think that he would do that again? Because last year he was wide receiver three, you know? Right. 100%. And he did it on only 116 targets, 65 receptions, but it was those 11 touchdowns. And it's not like I look at those 11 and I'm like, yeah, but he can't do that. I think he could get 13 or 14. So, <laughs> you know, Kenny Galladay, yeah, um, he's he's a smash this year. Um, I, I love him. I, I love you planting your flag on him. Josh obviously loves it. I mean, Josh, yeah. start here talk about your boy real quick. I mean, oh on. yeah, yeah. Well, I I won't go too long because I mean, you know, that's this is my guy. You know, Minitron, aka Kenny G, aka the Sax Man. You know, this is <laughs> this is my guy. But you know, he this is the thing when Blau when it was Jeff Driscoll season, David Blau season. I mean. From weeks nine on, and you know he still put up four touchdowns. So if you talk about uh, having a healthy Matt Stafford in 2020, I mean the first eight games, Kenny put up seven touchdowns. So it, saying that the 11 touchdowns is 
unrepeatable. I've heard uh, a few people kind of throwing that out there that are that are going against the grain, but the the Kenny Galladay train has been kind of picking up in full steam of late, and I'm I'm absolutely on board. In fact, uh, I'm looking for my conductor's hat right now. Guys, what if this Lions offense is just going to explode? What if that happens? I mean, what if you go into your Scott Fishbowl League and you're like, you know what? I'm going to wait. I'm going to get Matthew Stafford as one of my quarterbacks because I think he's an amazing pick as your QB too. Maybe I get DeAndre Swift. You know, maybe I get Marvin Jones later. I mean, these this offense can be really, really good based on what we saw last year with Matthew Stafford. I mean, we just saw it, and I think – it's not fresh in everyone's mind because obviously Stafford was injured. And then Kenny Galladay, of course, is the wide receiver one in this offense. I'm not too scared about Marvin Jones right now. I think that he's not going to see the kind of volume he's seen in the past. He can still be a high touchdown guy, uh, but I, I think that Galladay is still going to get his. Yeah, I mean, there's one last thing before we move on is that Stafford was not only getting MVP chatter before he got hurt, but he was on pace to have his third 5,000 yard season. And that would have been awesome to have, you know, two quarterbacks go over, you know, five, five stacks in the same season. Things, things happened. It didn't quite work out that way, but a lot of reason to be excited for 2020, man. The Lions are an offense. I'm looking at kind of like that. And I'm also looking at the Bengals and definitely the Bengals with Burrow coming in and, and obviously all the weapons that he has. Yeah, they have a lot of guys coming back from injury too. You know, they had uh, Jonah Williams didn't even he was their first round pick in 2019. I mean, he got didn't even play. And right. same with AJ Green. AJ Green never took the field as well. You know, they still have, still have John Ross coming back for a year. So when you look at adding T Higgins, you got Boyd Green, Higgins, and Ross. I mean, that's that's pretty impressive. I think Boyd's going to go crazy. I think he's going to have a better year than last year. I mean. His, you know, he I, he's probably right around like 18 for me. Yeah, he's 18 for me right now. But, I mean, he could be close to that that 12, 13 in PPR based on, what, 90 receptions last year. I mean, he's just going to man that slot. I, I really think that's going to be – Burrow's going to look at that a lot. Um, the, the other team was the Giants with, with Daniel Jones, and he has a great receiver core that's really kind of, you know, under the radar. You know, Evan Ingram, if he can stay healthy, but then, of course, Saquon. So we have these offenses, I think, that can really explode that a lot of people aren't thinking about. One of those offenses could be the Browns. We wanted it last year, and now that is kind of like a post-hype thing with literally all of these guys besides Nick Chubb. And... I got an offense for you. I think that's going to rebound pretty hardcore. Okay. And uh, I think I think Gary's probably going to agree because we both have Juju ranked pretty high, but that's, you know, Steelers getting Big Ben. I mean, he didn't even play. He basically didn't even play past week one, you know, and we all, you know, you got him number 10, uh, you know, Gary and I both have him in there. I have him at seven, so I'm the highest, but Gary has him at eight. I mean, that's, that's the main reason, you know, the, the I already talked about the QB to receiver rapport, big Ben coming back and, you know, Juju obviously had a down year last year, you know, especially from a PPR standpoint, he absolutely feasted uh, a couple years back and, Oh, yeah. That's something I'm very much looking forward to. So I think that's um, that's a guy that we can all pretty much agree on. It, you know, is definitely in the top ten discussion. That's that's kind of hands down. We know that that's that's where he's at right now. But you know, is he going to get another 160 targets? I personally think he's getting you know 150. Uh, so it's so I'm all in. You know, for for a number you know number eight, uh, you know seventh overall receiver. I'm definitely in that camp for sure. So I have him at 10. Um, you have him at 
eight and then Gary also has him at eight. So let's, while we're talking about Juju, Gary, um, cause I, I don't think that this is a commonality throughout the fantasy industry. I mean, people aren't really putting Juju in their top 10, um, that consistently. So what makes you want to put him at eight and give you the confidence to do that? So I feel like this is a, this is a June ranking very specifically because like, if we don't have good signs, you know, in August that Roth is going to be back to where he should be, then obviously he's going to drop but assuming that Roth is back, like, I mean, Roethlisberger threw, I think, for 5,000 yards in 2018. Like, he he had Antonio Brown, and he was awesome. But they lost Antonio Brown, but now they have Deontay Johnson, who is just, like, rocketing up boards. They have James Washington. Whatever people say, he's still a good receiver. He just might not be that great for fantasy. Right. And they brought in Eric, uh, Eric Ebron. I mean – those are just weapons that make it so you can put Juju wherever you want him to. Oh, and they brought in, uh, sorry, Claypool. Yep. And so uh, they drafted him. And so you can put Juju wherever the heck you want. And if the slot is going to be what best suits him, that's fine. You have the weapons to put them wherever else they need to go. And I think Juju is just going to flourish back being the number one. Everybody's just discounting him, but like, yeah, you never saw him as a wide receiver one against the cornerbacks and whatnot. Dude, who cares? Like, he didn't have Roethlisberger. He had literally number, like, 34 <laughs> quarterback. I think I think Doug Hodges was, like, the 40th best quarterback last year. Yeah, I think he, they were the worst-ranked offense after big men went down. Yes. And he put up 1,500 yards, I think, uh, at the year before. Am I right in saying that? It was pretty close to that. And so I'm just going to say – even if he gets to 1,200, that's a pretty damn good season. And he'll right. have the touchdowns there. And realistically, he'd probably be over that. We're always, we keep talking about targets. He, he's the wide receiver one on his team. He doesn't have the competition. He just has competent players around. And so uh, we'll see what happens. Plus, he's playing for a contract. And while this is probably redraft focused, like in Dynasty, man, what if he gets signed by – what if he gets signed by the Packers and Aaron Rodgers stays there and all of a sudden it's Adams and Juju. I mean, the sky's the limit for this guy and I'm really excited to see what happens, even if he's not on the Steelers next year. Yeah. Sorry. I got him at the three ten in a DLF Superflex bonk. Mm-hmm. I mean, three ten, like that's just cheating in my, like I really is. Cause just two years ago, not, you know, not very long time. I was drafting him at like the two Oh one, two Oh two maybe even late first round, I would consider him at. I mean, he's still so young. Um, and like you said, he's playing for that contract. If Roethlisberger is there, if Roethlisberger gives you 14 games, you know, even if he sits out the first, second week, I mean, if he gives you 14 games, um, Juju's going to finish high up there. I mean, you know, this, this kind of offense. And Deontay Johnson improving is huge for Juju Smith's output. If Deontay doesn't improve, and doesn't you know keep going as the in the ascension of the second year player? Then Juju, in my opinion, maybe doesn't crack that top ten. He, you need someone to stretch the field. You need some the the defense to focus on somebody else. Juju can't just do it himself in the slot and get peppered with targets. That would be great. That could maybe that high volume and PPR could be great. But uh, I, I think he would have more of a not average season, but it just might not be top 10. I, I really believe that Deontay Johnson is going to take that next step because he was so good last year. And we were just noting how horrific this offense was. And Deontay in his rookie season was still able to be very good um, in real life and for fantasy. So I'm, I'm all for Deontay improving. And I think that's everything for Juju uh, with 
the Steelers offense. Um, yeah, real quick, we also got uh, we only got ten games of uh, James Conner last year too, so that having him all year would be helpful as well. Agreed with that. Um, you know, they got McFarland too, drafted him, and I like him as a player. So even if Connor goes down, hopefully McFarland can take that next step. There's a lot of a lot of question marks, but really it's all centered around Roethlisberger. Like you said, Gary, if Roethlisberger is there, Juju being a top ten guy is a slam dunk. At number six, I have a, I have Beckham. I just want to go back, circle back real quick. At six, I have Beckham, and at eight, I have Cooper Cup. I think neither of those guys are on your top tens. Just want to real quickly for Cooper Cup. I think he's getting 150 targets. I'm not scared about the 12 personnel. I think Brandon Cooks leaves. Cooper Cup is Cooper Cup is there. Jared Goff and him are still BFFs. Cooper Cup is a very good receiver. So I'm, I'm very excited for Cooper Cup, and I like that people aren't drafting him highly. And then Odell Beckham, obviously the letdown last season. Uh, what was nice was that Baker was able to give him 130-some targets. Um, if he gets that again, I believe the efficiency just regresses back to the mean with Beckham, and he isn't catching less than 60% of his passes based on just a lot of questionable things in this offense in general. I'm calling for the Browns bounce back, or at least an improvement of last year. And if you give Beckham 130 plus targets again, I think he's going to be a top 10 guy. Career, you know, over 60% catch rate, over 60 um, in conversion rate, below those numbers, career low in both of those numbers. But what was nice to see, uh, career high in ADOT and career, or I'm sorry, he was third last year in total air yards with over 1,800 air yards. So what does that mean? It means Baker was looking for him deep, but it wasn't converting. And, you know, you can say whatever you want, whatever that was. It was probably a lot of Baker. It's probably a lot of the play calling. I think that improves um, this season. So that's why I like Beckham there. Any thoughts on Beckham before we move on to Allen Robinson? And the only thing I think uh, this year, the reason I also like a little bit of a bounce back from Odell, I don't – and I don't have him quite ranked as high as you do, but you know, the, the play calling last year was Scott awful, you know, and I, and I know we talked about that a little bit at the end of last week's episode when we were talking about Nick Chubb, you know, the inability for Freddie Kitchens to execute that offense, you know, there's such high hopes going in last year and why you wouldn't let Todd Monken call the plays again. I know I sound like a broken record, but um, just beyond me, but you know, we're, we're at this point now where we've seen, you know, Odell get his, you know, 125 or so targets of the past couple of seasons. And, you know, maybe, maybe this is kind of what he is now is this guy that gets you, you know, 1100, maybe 1200 yards a season. You know, maybe he's not, uh, you know, this electric guy, you know, how much I love Jarvis Landry. It's just weird because with them bringing in Austin Hooper, um, we already talked about kind of with with him leaving Atlanta, how much Gary liked Julio for that matter. Um, that's kind of the same reason that I'm a little more concerned with Cleveland's offense, uh, or I should say Beckham this season, is I think we might see some too tight end personnel from Stefanski like they ran in Minnesota last year. And right. it's it's not out of the realm of possibility to think that we get a lot of Njoku and Hooper sets. And, uh, and, you know, Odell's just maybe not used as, as much. And we're going to also have a full season of both Chubb and Hunt in the backfield, barring injury, of course. It's never guaranteed. But, uh, but it's going to be interesting, man. That's the only reason I'm hesitant putting OBJ in my top 10, though. 
Yeah, there's definitely a lot of mouths to feed, um, you know, with Hunt in there too. But I, I do think that the f targets are still going to funnel to Beckham. Um, so, you know, I, I, I think I'm just kind of putting him up there at six in all honesty, because I know that I'm drafting him as a top 10 guy and he's kind of fringe as, as far as ADP goes uh, top 10 guy right now. So I know that I'm going to get a value on him anywhere based on my ranking. Um, anywhere I draft him. Gary, let's talk about Alan Robinson real quick, and then we'll try to quickly wrap up with our last guy here. Um, you guys both have Alan Robinson at nine, and I love that. I have him at 13, just not quite as high. Um, just talking about Alan Robinson, and you know, I, this is one of my favorite wide receivers for Dynasty right now. I, I just have a quick question for you since you have him at 13. Who's the quarterback for the Bears this season? Good question. Uh, I would say it's a combo of Trubisky and Foles. Yeah, I mean, to me, like that's that's the difference of nine versus thirteen. I think it's Foles all the way. I think Foles yeah. is just a better quarterback, and he's just more what Nagy's looking for. I think Trubisky is a bit player that doesn't know how to play his parts. Um, so, yeah. to me, if Foles is there, and you just have a little bit more of a conservative, a regular pocket passer, you have somebody that's just going to be incrementally better. I mean, I think he's going to be significantly better, but. That's what changes everything. Robinson's still going to get peppered with targets. I, again, in terms of offenses, like I feel like people just sleep on the fact that the Bears have Robinson, Miller, who's awesome when he's healthy, and then they have Monty, and they have Tariq Cohen. So you do have pieces that are going to be able to spread defenses. And Allen Robinson, I mean, just in terms of a wide receiver, is he is a top 10 wide receiver in the NFL in terms of skill level, in my opinion. And so if you can get him a quarterback, like he had 14 touchdowns with Blake Bortles, even if that was years ago, um, he's still continued to show. And if they can finally just get some semblance of okay quarterbacking, I'm not even going to say with good or great, but just okay, better above than average, average, slightly above yeah. average. Exactly. Then, <laughs> you know, the it's easy enough for him just to, in a PPR league, just get his seven to 12 catches on a weekly basis and then turn it into something when he can. Yeah. I mean, he was you know, third in targets last season, um, total targets behind Michael Thomas and uh, Julio Jones. So he was right there at third in total targets with 154. Yeah. It's a, uh, it's interesting. You look at, uh, he was kind of on that similar career path that Kenny, that we were just talking about with Kenny Galladay, except he had, Blake Bortles to deal with back when he was getting, you know, 150 targets in 2015 and 2016. Uh, but, you know, if he gets 150 targets, Nick Foles targets, that is, um, not that, you know, Nick Foles is far and above, you know, Mitch Trubisky, no. but I mean, he's probably the best quarterback that Allen Robinson has had. So do I think that, you know, 80 to, you know, 90 receptions and nine touchdowns is out of the question? Uh, no, I think that's very reasonable. So, I mean, to to get something like that, you know, where we're going to have, you know, a very productive season from him, I think as long as Allen Robinson stays on the field, he's proven time and time again that he's going to produce. Yeah, last year was huge for Allen Robinson in terms of proving that he can be that guy. I mean, he finished, you know, I'm looking at fftoday.com as the wide receiver 12 PPR according to their um, scoring system. And, you know, that's huge. I mean, to have a guy like that, I mean, 98 reception, it's a big, big year. Actually, I'm sorry. He was wide receiver seven uh, in PPR scoring, according to fftoday.com. Mm -hmm. um, so big, big year for Allen Robinson. And really, 
you know, shutting up the naysayers that said he couldn't repeat on a big year from that 1,414 uh, touchdown season that he had with Bortles that you guys are talking about. So, no, I love I love that you guys have Allen Robinson at this point. Allen Robinson is one of those guys that may move up for me. Um, it's hard for me to get him above Thielen or Mike Evans right now. Um, and then, of course, I think the difference is I have Beckham and Cooper or Cooper Cup in my top 10. So that's what backs him up a little bit. So you asked me, Gary, who is going to be the quarterback. And it's like between Trubisky and Foles, I don't, I'm not saying that the upgrade is going to be that much. And what I saw from Trubisky last year, at least, is that he gave Allen Robinson 154 targets. There's a question there if Foles is going to give him the ball like that, or if he's going to spread it around. So that's the only thing I will say to that. And like I said, it's not like a huge upgrade in talent. Uh, but Josh, when you say that he's the best quarterback that he's ever had potentially, man, that is that is something right there. Like he, Allen Robinson, yeah, you know, it's the same thing that happened with Hopkins. Like we've talked about, he just couldn't get a good quarterback for his life. Yeah, it reminds me of like the early Larry Fitzgerald days too. Like, right. um, or or I should say after Kurt Warner left. Yeah, you just feel bad for the guy. But hey, you know it's. I think if anything, we know that these guys, it's interesting because this this third tier, it definitely expands past the top 10. And you mentioned guys like Thielen. You know, I, I've went back and forth in this 9 to 12 spot with guys like Thielen and A-Rob and Evans. And, you know, a lot of these guys are very interchangeable, but it's definitely telling for us to kind of look at things where we are now and where we're going to go through you know, training camp and things like that. I definitely think that the more we get uh, a reduced training camp period, I think the more this quarterback to receiver rapport and experience is going to kind of come in handy. For sure. Gary, you have Mike Evans at 10. And then uh, Josh, you have DJ Moore at 10. I have Juju Smith-Schuster. So we've already talked about him. Evans and Moore, the guys we didn't talk about. Josh, real quick on Moore. And then Gary, I'm going to toss it up to you for Evans. Yeah, real quick, won't spend a lot of time on more just the fact that he's had so much growth from, you know, his rookie season to the next. And you know, we, get, we can't remember that last year in his breakout campaign, he targeted 135 times, he hauled in 87 grabs. And that was with very scarce Cam Newton on the field. We've seen the t- production uptick in the touchdown department. I think that trend continues, you know, whether it's, you know, going from four to six or maybe as high as eight touchdowns. Um, I definitely think we're going to see a guy to, that not only repeats next year, I just think he's going to have a nice repeat performance because with Greg Olson gone, you know, I think Teddy Bridgewater is really going to find out that he can rely on DJ Moore quite a bit. And I think they're going to get a lot of this, uh, you know, this underneath stuff going. And I think we're going to see a very, very productive season from DJ Moore. Well, and again, I love that too. Um, all the great reasons and DJ Moore can be an explosive guy. Um, in his wide receiver class, he was definitely my wide receiver one coming out of that class out of Maryland. In the third season, you th- think they could all come together. I mean, that third season breakout is real. But more importantly, I think that putting him at 10 for your personal rankings, again, in the draft, you know you're going to get a good value on him um, based on where you have him ranked. So, Yeah, and uh, you know, I'll, I'll say this too real quick. I, I was not a DJ Moore believer at all coming out. You know, I saw him play at MSU, um, you know, a terrible game. But then when I went back and looked at more of the tape, I realized how much this guy dominated kind of his share of the targets at Maryland and just an absolute stud. So um, when he came out and kind of started doing the same thing last year, I thought, well, here we go. You know, this is just is who he is, man. He just dominates when he's on the field. And so I'm a, I'm a really big DJ Moore believer. I went from really not uh, being so high on him. Definitely wasn't in that camp with you, Steve. 
I did not have him as a wide receiver one that year, but I have come around uh, full circle, and I'm, I'm a big believer in DJ Moore. And I have Mike Evans at 12. Gary, you have him at 10, so not too much of a difference there. But talk to me about Evans with Tom Brady and what you envision for this Buccaneers offense. I think kind of in the same vein as Hopkins, this is just a respect thing. Uh, I actually have someone else I want to put at my 10, but I can't justify it just because <laughs> in 13 games, he still put up over 1,100 yards and eight touchdowns. It, granted, it was with Winston, who just threw the ball regardless of if he could even see if there was a wide receiver that direction. Evans should be there because he'll go over 1,000 yards and he'll get a bunch of touchdowns. I, I'm just so like nervous about him being my wide receiver one. I'm also actually nervous about DJ Moore being my wide receiver one because third-year breakouts get uh, shunted, if I'm saying the right word, when <laughs> you have a new coach, new OC, new quarterback. You know, that's that's a difficult thing, uh, even if those guys do mesh well with his particular skill set. So with Evans, I, I'm cautiously just – it's not even optimistic. I'm just expecting that he'll kind of do the same and kind of fit that role, but – you all of a sudden have a running game, you have a better defense, you have Gronk, you have Godwin, Howard. I mean, it sounds crazy to say that Gronk to me isn't like this major force, but he's going to take away some of the touchdowns. Okay. Yeah, I, I, I don't agree. know. He, he just deserves to be there, in my opinion. I, I don't know. I agree. No, and Gronk and Braid, actually, Cameron Braid, like because it came yeah. out uh, Roto World today that they're going to be running a lot of 12 personnel uh, in Tampa. Um, and that you can just picture on that two yard line, it's going to be Gronk and Braid a lot of times. I mean, OJ Howard's going to be in there, but you know, Tom Brady likes those big tight ends. Players in the past, besides Gronk, obviously with Aaron Hernandez, Watson, other players like that, have caught touchdowns from Tom Brady. You know, yeah, that, it's a very good point. I mean, that's why Evans could fall out. I mean, he really could fall out of that top 12, 13 range, especially in PPR. I, I could see him being in that 15, 16 range. But yeah, I, I believe in Mike Evans, the player. I agree with you completely. I don't want him as my one. I think you should have somebody in mind who you're going to draft later, who you think can be in that top 10 discussion, maybe like a uh, Odell Beckham for me or Cooper Cup or maybe a Kenny Galladay or Juju Smith-Schuster because if you get Mike Evans and Juju I think you're happy with that yeah yeah definitely I know this is going to totally seem like out of left field but I I wanted to put DK Metcalf as my 10 but I felt like it just seemed like I'm trying to throw in a hot take well this is the show to do it man (laughs) yeah yeah I mean I I haven't even (laughs) my own show but as a rookie I mean 900 yards seven touchdowns it takes a while to get acclimated and especially it's a run first team that I don't think is going to be a run first team. Like I think Seattle is going to throw a lot more this year. And I think that DK is their presumptive one that Lockett is going to go back into the more of the slot kind of Lockett role where he's a speedy and whatnot, but you know, almost more of like a Doug Baldwin type thing. But the DK Metcalf to me is just, he's almost the speed of Hill, but the size of like what Evans, like he is just a beast of a man. And I, I think that's who I want to have as my 10, but I just, out of pure respect, I had to put a, Evans. Josh, are you liking that hot take or what, man? I'm totally on board with uh, with having DK a little higher than most. I was in a basketball draft earlier today and I'm at the turn and for whatever reason, you know, DK's still there. And like all these other guys that I have ranked below him have gone and, you know, I'm looking at Russ and DK and there's one pick and I get sniped on DK and it just totally blew up my stack. And I was just so frustrated. I was super excited to get a share of DK somewhere because I just don't have him anywhere. I'm with Gary. I think he's 
I think he's the real deal. I think he's going to have another step forward this season and they might not be with some of the injury concerns. I mean, it's, it's not just uh, Rashad Penny dealing with injuries, Chris Carson, also dealing with injury recovery. Obviously it's why they signed Hyde. So they could be, you know, balls to the wall, man. We know he's, we already know Russell Wilson and Tyler Lockett uh, have tremendous chemistry on the field. And DK Metcalf has showed that he has some tremendous uh, chemistry with him as well. And, also some phenomenal upside where he can be a, a league winner. That's for sure. Praising the Seahawks is difficult for me to do, but I, I just, when we play the Seahawks, I'm not scared of the other parts of the offense besides Wilson and DK. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, DK showed everything he needed to last year in terms of being a dynasty asset, in terms of being a great pick and redraft with that size, with that speed, he's a touchdown threat. You know, the route running was a question last year. I think he put a lot of those uh, those doubts to rest. You know, I, with his frame, he is a wide receiver. He knows how to play that position. And guess what? He has one of the best deep ball throwers in the league in Russell Wilson. Um, Gary, thank you so much for being on the show, man. Can you please real quick just tell everybody where they could find you on Twitter, what time they can catch you on this SFB Podathon, and then any work you have coming out for Fighting Chance? Of course, thanks. Uh, so I'm at Gary Haddo one It's G-A-R-Y-H-A-D-D-O-W, the number one. So Gary Haddo one on Twitter. I do a podcast, which we live stream to pretty much any platform where you can watch us or listen to uh, on Wednesdays, usually about 8.30 p.m. And that's called Fighting Chance Live Podcast, FC Live Podcast. You can read my writing if I ever did it at fightingchancefantasy.com. It's an awesome site. Highly recommend going to it. I'm just not the writing stuff anymore. (laughs) I really prefer just doing podcasts and whatnot. And then... Uh, for SFB Podathon, highly recommend, highly recommend to donate to it. And I'm going to be 10 a.m. I don't know if it's Eastern or Central. I think it's Eastern. 10 a.m. on Monday, July, I guess it's 6th. But actually, yes. when the Scott Fishbowl drafts are kicking off, we'll be right around that time, which is awesome. I'm so thankful to be a part of that. Yeah, definitely come and check us out. Thank you guys so much for having me on. This has been a blast. I love talking shop and love talking with you guys. Oh, most definitely, Gary. Yeah, no, it's been a pleasure. Uh, We love talking uh, wide receivers, especially on this show. And real quick before we get out of here, I just want to mention that the uh, Roto Underworld uh, World Famous Draft Kit is coming out soon. I did a few um, profiles this year, uh, written and also videos, so that's going to be coming out soon. And of course, uh, we'll be joining Gary on the SFB Podathon. That'll be at 1.30 a.m. Eastern Time. Uh, on July 6th, but really that Sunday night, the 5th, um, or 10.30 uh, Pacific time. So a little later, but hey, I think that that fits the hot take vibe. Josh, are you ready for that, man? Are you gearing up or what? Oh, yeah. I've been kind of excited for, you know, the pot of that. I got my Scott Fishbowl shirt coming in the mail. Ooh. So, you know, I'm definitely ready to go, man. I just wanted to give a quick shout out uh, to those guys. You know, Scott, you know, Ryan, hey, don't forget to invite your boy. But also uh, wanted to give everyone a quick uh, quick heads up to be on the lookout for some some uh, fantasy uh, mock draft stuff, some rookie dynasty mock draft stuff. Uh, I'm going to be on a few collaborative pieces through Fantasy Pros coming out. Um, you know, there's one last week on June 4th that uh, was released. We we're doing a super flex five round uh, rookie draft, and there's going to be some other ones coming out. Some startup uh, stuff you can kind of keep uh, keep an eye out for here in the future. Awesome. Very good. What, real quick, which shirt did you guys get so far for uh, the SFP? 
I got that. I got that red Legos one. Oh, nice. Yeah, that I like that. That's that's your style. I could see that. That's the only one I did not get last year. A lot's changed in the past year, so I was finally <laughs> able to buy a bunch of shirts and stuff. Last year was just kind of a, a weird. So right. this year I was like, I'm getting all of them. The <laughs> <laughs> only one I didn't get just because I have so many damn red shirts because I just wear Niners gear constantly. So uh, good, I'm, I'm good choice. You don't want to oversaturate in the red. I get it. I even bought a Scott, uh, an SFB9 shirt because I, I only got the Sega one and I actually got the Mario one finally. I was super nice. pumped about that too. Nice. That Mario one is pretty fresh. That's a good thought. I might have to go back and get that one. I ended up getting the uh, the Optimus Prime one. I thought that was a badass looking yeah. shirt. I was like, that's just a good looking shirt in general. And then I had to get the SFB Podathon on since I'm going to yes. be a part of it, obviously. 100%. Um, Gary, thanks again for being on the show, man. Uh, Josh, always a pleasure. Thanks for listening to the Hot Take Podcast. You can find it again wherever you listen to podcasts. Uh, on behalf of Gary Haddo and Josh Gary, my name is Stephen Trillian. This has been 